Finishing sharp, pointed, and insightful. This is Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. When President Trump kicks off his 2020 re-election campaign tomorrow night, he'll be doing it in downtown Orlando, holding a rally at the 20,000 capacity Amway Center. Changing the asylum laws is an imperative. Building the wall is an imperative. Putting more officers and agents on the ground, that is an imperative in getting judges and resources. Take a look at the Democrats. So they're walking away from Obamacare and saying, well, that wasn't enough. Now they want to do Medicare for all, you know, which would eliminate 180 million Americans' private health insurance mm -hmm. that they like. And now, Stacey Washington. Hey, hey, hey. Welcome. Thanks for being here today. Uh, we have just so much fun going on on the program today. We're going to have Cassie Smedley. She's going to join us. And we're going to just chat about the launch. Yes, it's true. It's factual. Uh, the Democrats had been saying, remember, remember when it was their mantra that he wasn't going to run again? He was tired. He hated it. He only ran. He never thought he was going to win. And he would never run for president again. He would never run for reelection. Do you remember when Democrats said that? I know it's a lot to try to keep up with the lies that they peddle on the regular. And uh, Nincompoops Incorporated, they definitely keep the media busy with their uh, press releases and, and their talking points. But we've got a fantastic story here. And that is that not only is the president running for reelection, but he's doing so at an advantage. And we know that because the polling has already begun to come up showing Bernie Sanders, who's not even the front runner anymore, a socialist, which Americans don't even want socialism. Americans don't like it. Americans have not really shifted largely towards socialism. Yes, millennials like toying with it, but it, they love their lattes and their custom cars too much. Uh, yeah. They're going to use the same kind of methodology they used to tell us that Hillary Clinton had a 99 or 98 percent chance of winning. They're going to use that same methodology to try to convince us that Donald Trump is nine points behind Bernie Sanders, which, by the way, is the margin that they oversample Democrats by. So if you actually just did a poll, a straight up poll where you took a third, a third, a third or 40, 40, 20 you know, 40% Democrats, 40% Republicans, and then 20% other politically unaffiliated independents, you'd have a much more accurate representation of what the voting electorate was planning on doing in another year. But why would we do that? That'd be fair, right? <laughs> why, would, why would we do that? Why, what am I saying? You know, what, what's, what's that all about? Anyway, uh, so we're going to chat about um, how far we've come in just four years. I have some audio for you from June 3rd of 2014. It's Morgan Freeman chatting with Don Lemon. And I know you're probably thinking, oh, oh no, no, pull your hand back from that, that dial. You, you want to hear this because not only have we seen a complete metamorphosis in what is acceptable and what is conversation surrounding race and America and really it used to be just be America. Now it's everything is racial. You know, the police interactions are racial. The politics in Washington, D.C. are racial. Everything's racial. But it didn't used to be that way. Even just those five, actually five years ago, because this is 2019, five short years ago, Don Lemon did not, he wasn't radicalized back then. And, and so it's an interesting look we're going to have with that. Um, and then, of course, we're going to chat about the Supreme Court refusing to rule on another wedding cake lawsuit. So you remember um, Melissa's Treats, I believe is the name of the business. Um, I, I, Melissa's sweet shop. 
It's it's unbelievable. Sweet Cakes by Melissa has been fined a whopping $135,000. And the Supreme Court, instead of just striking the ruling down, has remanded the actual case back to the court that fined her. So And they've ordered them to re-adjudicate the case in light of um, in light of Masterpiece, the cake shop ruling that basically said they have to abide by the religious freedom that's enshrined in our Constitution. So we'll we'll dig into that a little bit. And of course, call lines are open 866-963-2037. So I I'm I'm oh, and WMD, you're probably thinking, Stacey, what are you talking about? There was WMD. You know how it's been drummed into our heads that there wasn't any? Well, there was. So Yahoo News is now reporting on it. So you got to go to the back ether, the, the deep underbelly of the Internet, off, off into the hinterlands, not even the back nine, but way beyond that to get the news breaking that turns out George Bush was right all along. Turns out this is just another Democrat talking point. So we'll dig into that, too. Uh, but first off, so you, you guys know, um, there's just been this amazing book that we've been digging into and the the title of the book it's the little women's book study that um that i'm a part of we've been looking at this book called it's a shepherd looks at psalm 23 by w philip keller now w philip keller is an actual shepherd meaning in modern day times so back his, his when he wrote this book was in 1970s he wrote this book he was born in east africa and always loved wildlife and the outdoors. He spent many years in agricultural research, land management, and ranch development in British Columbia. And then he later pers- pursued careers in conservation, wildlife photography, and journalism. His experience as a shepherd equipped him with the insights that are the basis for this book. Now, it's by Zondervan Publishing, and it's been published many, many times. I happen to have one of the newer paperback copies, which, no offense, but one of, the, my, one of my Bible study chicks, she shows up, and we're studying at a friend's house. And she shows up with two copies that she's been gifted over the many years. And both of her copies are um, hardcover and they're beautiful. They're, so they're, they're basically, they're older, n- not like this little paperback one that we all got. We only paid like four or five bucks for hours. So, I mean, I can't complain, but her copy was so much prettier than ours. Um, now, in case you're wondering if W. Philip Keller only wrote about being a shepherd and wrote about Psalm 23, that's not true. He wrote at Splendor from the Sea, uh, As a Tree Grows, Bold Under God, A Fond Look at the Frontier Preacher, A Layman Looks at the Lord's Prayer, Raboni, which is to say Master, A Shepherd Looks at the Good Shepherd and His Sheep, A Gardener Looks at the Fruits of the Spirit, and on and on and on. It looks like about 40 books here. Um, so what am I getting out of this? Well... First off, there's a whole lot about sheep that we as, you know, modern day city type folks, even those of us who maybe have, you know, uh, live in a rural area or have a, a farm or some animals or something like that, unless you actually own sheep, there's a lot about them that we don't know. And we are continually compared to sheep in the Bible because God is not just our shepherd, but he's our father and our protector and he cares for us. And to a great extent, human beings are very much like sheep in a myriad number of ways. Now, I've always heard that and I've always understood, you know, sheep need to be in flocks and sheep need to be tended to and, you know, sheep wander off. And yeah, you know, you get all that. But this book goes deeply into the parallels between humanity and sheep. And it talks about how God is our shepherd it's a 24-hour job. 
and shepherds in general, their job is 24 hours. And it also, in, in the book, he goes into um, this beautiful, just it, it kind of explains and expounds upon David, who was a shepherd as a boy, he was a shepherd and the kind of work that he had to do to maintain his flock. So I recommend this book highly. It's, it's a very small book. It's 168 pages or so. Um, you could easily read it in a couple of sittings, but if you're doing it as a study, there are a few resources that people have created online. Um, his vessel ministries has in the arms of God, lesson two application assignment by Joe Hancock. And this one is, um, it's just a little teensy little like front and back half of a single sheet of paper that has fill in the blank answers that you can print out and use if you want to study with, with friends. So I wanted to share something from the book for today for the encouragement. And so he talks in the first chapter about us as human beings acknowledging God's ownership and headship over us. And he says, it's no accident that God has chosen to call us sheep. The behavior of sheep and human beings is similar in many ways. Our mass mind or mob instincts, our fears and timidity, our stubbornness and stupidity, our perverse habits, these are all parallels of profound importance. Yet despite these adverse characteristics, Christ Christ chooses us, buys us, calls us by name, makes us his own, and delights in caring for us. And it is this last aspect, which is really the third reason why we were under obligation to recognize his ownership of us. He literally lays himself out for us continually. He is ever interceding for us. He is ever guiding us by his gracious spirit. He is ever working on our behalf to ensure that we will benefit from his care. And so there could be, you know, perhaps you're in um, a very discouraging point where you've made a mistake and you just want to rewind the hands of time back and erase it. And the further you look into and dig and search for a way to erase or fix the mistake that you've made, the more you realize that it's just something that's happened and you can't undo it. You just have to move forward and try to make up for what you've lost, for what you carelessly destroyed, what whatever the case might be. And so in that moment, and the moment being, you know, you could have been struggling with this for weeks and recriminations and regret and, you know, the voice of the accuser literally bombarding you with, you did this, you don't deserve help, you don't deserve anything, you, this is what you deserve because look at the mistake you've made. Don't listen to that. That's the voice of the enemy and it's meant to derail your progress and stop you from being able to get over this moment. Instead, you have to look at what God says about how he will take care of us. He takes care of every aspect of our lives. And when we make a mistake, instead of being, you know, you would think he'd be angry or he'd be, you know, look at, look at this mess that she's gotten herself into. Instead, it's quite the opposite where God is waiting, patiently waiting at the ready to assist us. He won't come in and force his help on us, but if we ask him, and it's as simple as saying, I've Lord, I've, I've messed this up. I'm in the ditch. I can't get out. I need you. And then you can rely on him to work even the worst circumstances out for your good, which is impossible for us to see because not only can we not see around corners, we can't barely see what's dead in front of us. So trust him to rescue you because he will. And that is a continuing theme in this book. And so 
we have to search our own hearts and motives and our personal relationship with God and say, here are some questions that he gives at the end of that first chapter. He says, asking ourselves, do I really belong to him? Do I really recognize his right to me? Do I respond to God's authority and acknowledge his ownership? Do I find freedom and complete fulfillment in this arrangement? Do I sense a purpose and deep contentment because I'm under his direction? Do I know rest and repose besides a finite sense, a definite sense, I'm sorry. Do I know rest and repose besides a definite sense of exciting adventure in belonging to him? He goes on to close out this chapter by saying, if so, then with genuine gratitude and exaltation, I can exclaim proudly, just as David did, the Lord is my shepherd and I'm thrilled to belong to him for it is thus that I shall flourish and thrive no matter what life may bring to me. So that's the encouragement for today. I hope that's a blessing to you. Now, I want to hear, I know I'm getting close to the end of this segment, but I think we have enough time to listen to Morgan Freeman. He's chatting with Don Lemon on June 3rd of 2014. And this is just, this is YouTube gold, in my opinion. It's number one. No, uh, it, it, you can't say that. I don't think uh, uh, wealth, personally, I don't think wealth and, and genetics have anything to do with each other, actually. Um, if you're born in the U.S., it really doesn't matter the condition of your birth. Mm-hmm. What matters is what you inherit from your nurturing, from your environment, uh, whether or not you're going. If you, I mean, I'm just as, from the standpoint of having been born with little. Uh, you can hear, you can always get out of that. Say you're born uh, as one of the untouchables in India. Mm-hmm. There you are. If you're born into the super rich, there you are. Here, you can be born to the super rich, but three, four generations down the line, it's gone. Mm -hmm. Hmm. So he's explaining how in America you can be born as he was in, in abject poverty, but he had a drive to succeed. And he used to sell things so that he could get into the movies, so that he could go and watch movies. And so the most important thing that that we can take from what he said, and I have a little bit more for you, and we'll get to that in the third segment. We have Cassie Smedley up next. But the most important thing that you can take from what he said is that he recognized being an American that he could be anything. He could be poverty-stricken and one day be a multimillionaire and someone that everyone, everyone knows his name. And that's regardless of race. Interesting, huh? Because he's a leftist. (laughs) And he's chatting with Don Lemon. All right, we'll be right back. Stay there. The Ministry of Preborn meets abortion-minded women right where they are. When a young mom sees her baby on ultrasound, she's 80% more likely to keep her baby. And I got to hear and see my baby for the first time. Hearing the heartbeat made me cry and it was certain that I was going to keep my baby forever. This mom chose life for her baby. She's been such a joy. Her name even means rebirth and sort of being raised up from the ashes. Uh, I now see my daughter and I cannot imagine my life without my happy, lovely, joyful, smart baby. And I'm so grateful. Preborn runs and leads Christian pregnancy centers all over the country. To find out more, go to preborn.com that's preborn.com or dial pound 250 and say the keyword baby. That's pound 250 and say baby. 
Your love can save a life. Hi, I'm Crawford Loritz with a Legacy Moment. Did you know leadership is not about status and position? It's all about responsibility. I have a friend who heads a Christian organization, and some time ago, that organization went through some very difficult times. It turns out that some of his staff, individuals close to him, made poor decisions that led to a crisis. But my friend refused to place the blame on anyone except himself. He placed it squarely on his own shoulders. I deeply respect him because as the leader, he owned up to the responsibility of that position. Many times, the stuff of real leadership is seen in a person's ability to take the heat. That's what happened in 2 Samuel chapter 24. David was a true leader. David blew it. He did something wrong, and the people were paying for it. 2 Samuel chapter 24, verse 17 says, Then David spoke to the Lord when he saw the angel who was striking down the people and said, Behold, it is I who have sinned. It is I who have done wrong. But these sheep... What have they done? Please let thy hand be against me and against my father's house. What a statement. In other words, David says, no, I'm not looking for a scapegoat. I'm not looking for someone to take the heat. I did it. I'm responsible. Those are refreshing words these days. Nobody wants to own the responsibility, but we all want to take the credit. What we do affects people around us, so we have to be willing to accept the blessings as well as the burdens. That's why a person should never be given a position of leadership until there's been proven character. Well, here's what I want you to remember today. Don't make others pay for what you've done. You're in leadership because you're responsible. So let's take the responsibility. Legacy Moment with Crawford Loritz is produced by Moody Radio. Welcome back to Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Thank you so much for being with us today. Find out more at StacyOnTheRight.com and AFR.net. It's my pleasure to welcome good friend of the show, my buddy, Cassie Smedley. She is the RNC Deputy Communications Director. Thanks for joining us today. Hello, hello. Great to be with you. Oh, it's so much fun to have the news that you're going to share, which is that Friday, in addition to being the president's birthday, was the official launch date of his 2020 campaign. That's right. We call it our our National Week of Training, and all of it is leading up to, of course, the big rally tomorrow night in Orlando, where, I mean, it feels like the president has never stopped, but he is officially launching his re-election campaign tomorrow night. I don't know if you saw that tweet, but they've got almost 100,000 RSVPs. So take that literally anyone else who's in the race for president. You just can't compete with that kind of enthusiasm. People have been already lined up 37 hours ahead of time. People were out there lining up for this rally tomorrow. It's incredible. <laughs> I know. Now, remember, I am, uh, I am a veteran of the six-mile march from Columbia, Missouri, when he came here to visit us, and we had to park across mm-hmm. the highway and march. <laughs> we, and it was There were so many people, so much humanity, marching at the same time, <laughs> trying to get to this aircraft hangar, that it was news. It was, it was news besides the fact that the president was in Missouri, and Air Force One was coming and all that. It was mm-hmm. such an experience. I mean, one thing I remember about that night, I'll never forget, it was really like early, early evening, early afternoon, Um, when we got started, was just how 
upbeat and fantastic everybody was. And these were not people I'd mm-hmm. ever met before, obviously. And everybody was just so great. So I can you cast your mind back to a time when uh, the president had been recently inaugurated and everyone started speculating? Everyone, everyone was saying that he wouldn't run again. He would not have the energy. He wouldn't have the desire because he never thought he would win in the first place. All that drama. Do you remember that? Mm-hmm. I mean, it was wishful thinking on the part of his naysayers, but exactly the opposite has happened. I think he's only been further emboldened and further energized since he's gotten into office. I think he's got this great record to run on. He is pumped to get out there and start talking about it. This is someone who, you know, most of us are exhausted just going to work each day. And the president, he gets out on these rallies. He's like, let's do another one. Let's add another one to the list because this is where he drives his energy, actually being out with people, not being cooped up in an office and it's incredible and certainly it's got a lot of great things to share and say and what's funny you talk about that six mile march i love that that's something where you can see oh it's before an election people are curious they want to sort of be a part of the experience that that happens every single time a rally is announced you get these lines that go on for hours and tens of thousands of people and they have to have overflow spaces or put up huge screens outside Uh i mean last week um, there was a lot of news that President Trump and Joe Biden were both in Iowa on the same day. And conceivably, Joe Biden was supposed to be in the liberal part of Iowa. And he had his <laughs> event at the same place that then-candidate Trump had his event in 2016. And yet, Donald Trump had over five times the number of people that Joe Biden had last week in the, quote, liberal part of the state. This is not made up. This is not a fluke. This happens everywhere. And it's because what once might have been curiosity now has turned into people saying, I want to go out there. I want the president to know we support him. I want the president to know that we want him to keep doing and delivering for the American people. And I think that, again, is something that the media is getting wrong. Democrats are underestimating. And uh, as we have said many times before, they're going to wake up the day after Election Day 2020, scratching their heads and asking themselves what happened yet again. But we'll know. Yeah, well, we're, we're already ready. I'm ready for that. I'm ready for all of it. In fact, last time I was just so I was so shocked to see um, people that I really respected, like Megyn Kelly looked like, you know, a dear friend had passed away when they announced right. She's sitting right in the room that he was the president. And I thought this can't be. She certainly, even though they've had their, their dust up and, you know, they're not friends, mm-hmm. surely she would be happy to see a Republican in office. But it wasn't the case. Now, in another kind of redo of 2016, we're seeing them already putting out polls, putting Bernie Sanders as socialist, who doesn't even live like a socialist, but he's a socialist, mm-hmm. um, putting him nine points ahead of the president. Weren't they wrong last time? Why should we trust them again? That's right. The million dollar, multi-million dollar socialist who got it through his millions through capitalist means. That's one of my favorite Bernie lines. But um, <laughs> that's exactly, you know, we know that the polls got it wrong on Election Day. So I don't really know why we're putting stock in any polling 500 days out. Uh, we certainly aren't here. What we do put stock in is we have our modeling, which shows us that there is, uh, in some cases, record high enthusiasm for the president's job performance. When you ask people, how do you feel the president's doing on issue after issue after issue, he's right side up. And then some momentum is in his favor uh, because people feel the results of this administration. And so to couple that with what you see on the ground with tens of thousands of people, I mean, people take their vacation days to go to a Trump rally. You know, some families go to Disney World in the summer. Other families go to Trump rallies. But that's what's happening in this country. And there's no one else who can compare to that enthusiasm and who can bring out the American people like Donald Trump does. And he's earned that, by the way, because he's delivering. 
Yeah, the I I I guess the the younger people, younger than me, they always say polls are they say this is or that is trash. So I got to you know take their euphemism that polls are trash. Like we don't have any reason to trust them. And I do sometimes report on them when they have like an interesting twist. But it's just kind of like noting what the weather is, which knowing that the weather, it's dry right in this moment, but it was like seriously thunderstorming about two hours ago, and it probably will be thunderstorming again in two hours. So I can say it's dry now without anyone blaming me when it's pouring rain in like an hour. So th- that's what the polls right. are like. It's a snapshot. And and depending on the sourcing, it could be a snapshot of a, of a trash can. Like we don't even know what their methodology was. Well, that's exactly right. And you oftentimes when you do look into the methodology, you tend to understand why they're going the way they are. You know, they're just taking a random sampling of people on the street or people that are, yes, registered to vote but haven't voted. But what we also um, – the only way that we use polls around here is just on messaging. For example, if you say, um, how do you feel about Medicare for all, people are like, well, I don't know. That sounds pretty good. But mm-hmm. then in terms of messaging, people say, how would you feel about Medicare for all? This would mean that the government would take over all of your health care, and they would run all of the decisions for your health care, and you might be limited, and, and yada, yada, yada. You know, Your taxes would go up, all of that. From a messaging standpoint, you can get a very clear and, frankly, accurate picture about how people feel about a particular topic. But when you're talking about just put literally random Joe Schmo on a ballot, people don't know anything about that person. We haven't, I mean, on the Democrat side, they haven't even gotten on the debate stage. Imagine what things are going to look like in a couple of weeks after we've seen all of them go after each other on a debate stage. Right now, each of them have just had <laughs> glowing reviews in the media. It's just been mainstream media giving them infomercials, essentially. But when people really hear from them and really have an opportunity to hear where they stand on the issues and what they truly believe, that's when we're going to start to get a more meaningful picture that we should be paying attention to. And conversely, with President Trump, people have that. They know that what they see is what they get. We know that the promises he made in 2016 have been kept, and he is working on keeping more. He's come through in so many ways. And so I think that's why, again, when we look at our modeling and on those issues, um, the president's favorability ratings are really off the charts because that means something to people, and it's very tangible. So, Cassie, you know, there's, there is the one issue, obviously, immigration, which was a signature issue for the president. And he has tried. I mean, it's like he's turning over every rock. He's he's doing everything he can. But he has really been stymied by a couple of horrible laws and court decisions and inaction on the part of the Democrats. And let's face it, the Republicans did not, you know, take advantage of the, the time that they were in control of all three parts of the government. They were too busy infighting and kind of really bickering over the details to get something done. And now here we have about a thousand people a day being released into the country and some cities are overrun. So even Democrats in charge of these cities and states are now admitting that they can't take any more, um, you know, people from south of the border who are here illegally. And the president has to have some messaging on that that is very clear. Now, I'm excited to see the cooperation with Mexico. But what more do you see him being able to accomplish in between now and the actual election that would be able to help kind of bolster his supporters to know that we, we've got to keep him there? I, I totally agree with you. We have to. But we have to convince voters to, to keep him there. 
Right. Well, we know, and I believe we've talked about this before, one of the perennial issues for voters, they tell us, is immigration. Mm-hmm. And when you just put it there, they say, yep, immigration. It doesn't give us many details as to how they feel about immigration, but we know that it's well, something that has to be done. The system we have is not working. And regardless of which side of the aisle they sit on, there's pretty much broad agreement on that. When you look at the opioid epidemic, when you look at um, well, even just the influx of people coming over the border and inroading towns. These are things that people are saying, that's, there's got to be a better way. So I think the president talking about it and being the only one who's willing to take action, and breathlessly so, he's not giving up on this, that means something to people. And again, that's something that we're going to see on the debate stage or in the rally stage of something where he will be persistent in that. And I think he's going to force the conversation on it. But frankly, you see what he's been able to do with getting Mexico to put more people on their southern border. If we start to see these numbers of apprehensions start to go down at all, that right there is a little glimmer where he can say, see, something needed to be done. I used every means possible to get something done. And look, imagine what we could do if we had the support of a Congress to go in and get something done together. And you talk about how Congress has had opportunities to act in the past, and they haven't on both sides of the aisle. Everyone's pretty open about that. Mm. I remember when I was on the Hill, people used to spend their days fretting about semantics. Can we say comprehensive, or does it have to be step-by-step? I mean, that was what they would spend their time on, because there was such a fear that just talking about it could be the end of their time in Congress. And I love that President Trump, he doesn't waste his time on poll-tested messaging. He goes out there and listens to people and says, I like that. You sound good. Let's talk about this. Let's do that. And that's how you get something done. And I think that authenticity is one of the things um, even people who don't love him love the most about him. I know he's telling me it's coming exactly from him. That's not from some consultant or some script. Yeah, it's it's straight from the hip with the president. And, and so speaking of straight from the hip, you have this George Stephanopoulos interview, which was supposed to be this extravaganza. And we and you just started off our discussion, Cassie, with this phenomenon. The president says he's going to be in Columbia, Missouri. 30,000 people show up, you know, <laughs> and this is a rural area. Columbia. Well, it, I mean, it's a town. It's a city, but it's like two hours from St. Louis. It's a couple of hours from Kansas City. It's not an easy place to get to. People drove there. They parked. They walked for miles to be near him or watch him on a screen because there were people outside watching on screens. This happens over and over and over again. So we know that when the president is speaking or being interviewed, it's a draw. But on the Stephanopoulos thing, Americans just didn't want to hear it. And and I think it's Stephanopoulos because President Trump has a track record of being able to turn out eyeballs and ears on interviews on the radio and on television and in person. Well, when you see that this president has had over 90 percent negative news coverage, why are you going to tune in to something that you know is going to be sparse <laughs> and splintered and split up into sound bites? That's not what we tune in for. We tune in for the opportunity to hear directly from the president in full context, a la the rallies, or when he's stopping on his way to Marine One and you get an impromptu 45-minute press conference. That's him in full. And I think there's a a distrust. I don't think. We know there's a distrust with the media. And when George Stephanopoulos, remember, this isn't a guy who went to journalism school. This is a guy who came straight out of the Clinton administration and went into media. So there is an inherent bias there that I think people say, who needs it? I can spend my time a thousand different ways than listening to someone try and soundbite the president. Um, 
And so I generally think whether it's this interview or just day-to-day with the media, the reason you're seeing the ratings go down is because people don't need to turn to those outlets to hear from the president. We have any number of opportunities to hear directly from him and in full context. Yeah, I love that because um, what you're saying there, Cassie, it mean it means something. If you know that the people who are interviewing the president hate him and want to reframe everything that he says, and they're they're basically playing gotcha, um, you know, journalism, then it's kind of pointless to watch because you know what you see is going to be skewed, and it's not going to be the open, honest truth. And I think the other thing is the president has given such an amazing amount of exposure, like you mentioned, on the way to Air Force One, outside Marine One, outside the White House, period. And then in all of the rallies, which he has continued to do for someone who's supposed to be too old to run. He has the energy of someone in their 40s who works out and speed walks the mall every night after dinner. He's <laughs> he, I mean, he's he's out there. He's not he's not resting on the fact that he's the president and kind of running and saying, look, you know, incumbent wins. I, I, I got this. I think that's to be respected, but there's something kind of, and I don't know, it's just, it's hard to quantify someone who works this hard even before the campaign launch and still gets the 98% negative coverage. I just, I I think Americans are sick of it. And that's part of the reason why he's probably going to be back there, you know, in, in 2021, he'll, he'll still be there. Well, from your mouth to God's ears, but yes, what we're hearing from people, going back to the rallies, people who came out in 2016 out of curiosity, but said, you know, I didn't end up voting for him, but I just wanted to hear from him, you know, whatever, I'm a lifelong Democrat. And then now, time and time again, most of these rallies, half the crowd registered Democrats. These are people saying, hey, he wasn't my guy. I voted for Hillary, but I can't deny the results that I'm feeling. I'm switching my vote. I mean, the walk away movement is real. Mm. People feel so well, uninspired by the Democrat candidates, but frankly, in many ways, betrayed by the Democrat Party. Their extremist positions on literally the alphabet of issues, you name it, may have gone to the extreme, and they're so out of step. And then you've got Donald Trump saying, give me a chance. And when you have, for every single American, it's hard to find a sector of America that has not been positively impact, impacted by the results of this administration. That's facts. Despite the fact that you don't hear that on TV, doesn't change how people are feeling in their day-to-day lives. And so to have those two out of sync means who are you going to believe, what you watch on TV or how you're feeling in your everyday life? I'm going to turn off the TV. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I just think it was interesting that they're, they're trying to blame President Trump for those low ratings when the fact is he, he sells everything out. He's, it's an amazing ability to get people to stop what they're doing take vacation days, whatever, walk six miles. I mean, I've never done that for any other, uh, you know, no concerts, nothing like that. I've ever had that experience. And, you know, it just keeps happening. It's an it's an amazing sea change of momentum that I think is really unique to his presidency. And I'm so glad to see it. You know what? I love it when you stop by. Great start to the week. Thank you for being here. Cassie Smedley, RNC Deputy Comms Director. Thank you, Stacey. We'll all have to get back to another rally soon. (laughs) Yes. Maybe we'll be there together marching. (laughs) Have a good one. All right. We'll be right back. This is Uncommon Moments. Here's former Super Bowl winning NFL coach Tony Dungy and his wife, Lauren, sharing from their book, Uncommon Marriage. A number of years ago, Lauren and I began discussing the possibility of adding to our family by adopting. She told me she felt the Lord was speaking to her, saying, you have the resources, You have the home and the loving family. Yet she was careful to tell me she wanted to be sure 
She wasn't being driven by her own desire, but by the Lord's leading. We agreed to pray about it to make sure the Lord was speaking to both of us. In your marriage, when you come upon an important decision you feel the Lord is calling you to, go to Him in prayer and wait for His answer. He'll show you like He showed Tony and me. Tony and Lauren Dungy, authors of Uncommon Marriage, learning about lasting love and overcoming life's obstacles together. Discover more at CoachDungy.com. Have you ever found yourself so embarrassed in a situation that you couldn't even look a person in the eye? One day, I was in the drive-thru of a famous fast food restaurant, and I was giving my order to whom I thought was a man, but turned out to be a woman. Oh my goodness. I found that out because I said yes, sir, and she quickly corrected me. I was so embarrassed, I couldn't even finish the order, so I drove off. That was a true story of fear and embarrassment. Deuteronomy chapter 31 verse 6 says, Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them, for the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. My brothers and sisters, do not operate as I did and drive away due to fear creeping in. Know that the Spirit of the living God lives in you, and with Him, He can bring about that courage that you didn't even realize was already in you. With the heart for the Urban Family, I'm today's Urban Woman, Victoria Hollyfield. Connect with us more at UrbanFamilyTalk.com. Donald Trump's America. President Trump has condemned Iran for its apparent attacks on oil tankers traveling through the Strait of Hormuz. The administration calls for talks and foreign cooperation. But on CBS Face the Nation, GOP Senator Tom Cotton says a military strike will send a message. The fastest way to get the fire and fury of the U.S. military unleashed on you is to interfere with the freedom of navigation. Cotton says he supports that, even if it means bypassing Congress. The U.S. is also taking steps to protect the 2020 election. But Democratic Congressman Adam Schiff, also on CBS, says the president has in some ways undermined that effort. When the president... Uh, a month ago told Putin over the phone that he still thinks the Russian interference in our election was a hoax. President Trump this week will officially announce his run for re-election, but a new Fox News poll out Sunday says five Democratic candidates, Biden, Sanders, Warren, Buttigieg, and Harris, would beat the president one-on-one. Gernal Scott, Fox News. You can download episodes of Stacey on the Right from the podcast page on AFR.net or UrbanFamilyTalk.com. Now, back to the show on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Uh, the very fact that the NFL, with the average salary, is like uh, uh, two or three million dollars, uh, five years after they retire, uh, 70 percent of them are bankrupt. So I'm not so sure if it doesn't work for rich people, uh, what it's going to do for poor people. But again, Tucker, it's a distraction. There are study after study on the black communities conducted by the Joint Center for Political Economics, a liberal black think tank. When black Americans rank and file ask, what are the issues most important to you? It's jobs, it's security. Race only shows up 8% in those communities, in those three separate polls. But but these uh, people on television, the candidates, pander to the black community, assume that they don't have to speak to the legitimate needs of black America for jobs, for better health care, for neighborhoods that are not being gentrified, but instead they can just pander and walk through the civil rights door. It is pandering, it is insulting to black America, and as I have said, I, I, I have suffered my last rich, angry black 
and my last guilty white person. Wow. So um, let me just say that, first of all, that was Dr. Bob Woodson. He's a leader. He's he runs a think tank. And the comments that he's making there to Tucker Carlson about what actually happens when people who don't have any training in money management and are, you know, poverty stricken come into large sums of money has been echoed over and over and over again. So, so does that mean we don't want to help um, people who are poverty stricken? No. Does that mean that we don't appreciate the up by your bootstraps nature of America? No. Does that mean that people who come into sums of money can't learn how to manage it? No. But the idea that the federal government just saying, okay, we're going to issue reparations and going through this complex process of kind of pulling out the people who, because I, I, I'm friends with on Facebook with a couple of people, one of whom he said generations prior to him being alive, one of his black ancestors owned 1,500 slaves and land. His black ancestor owned other black people as slaves during the time when slavery was lawful in this country. So does he then pay reparations or does he still get them because he's black? See, that, that's where we are right now, literally parsing every single person out. And if you think we're looking at each other funny in the grocery store right now, because that's, that's what I see. I see a ton of people who smile and are very open but I also see people who every person they're kind of looking at askance. Everyone's trying to sum everybody up. As, is she a racist? You know, should I help her? I was out at the uh, at TJ Maxx in St. In, in Peter's. And I only went there because I was out at Bible study and it was in the same parking lot as the Home Depot. And I went to the Home Depot to get eight bags of mulch. These, these are real. This is, this is the reality of my life, you guys. The guy who does our yard maintenance his daughter had her second child. Well, actually, I think it's her third child. And so the baby was in the hospital because he was born a couple, like three, three or four weeks early. So they were kind of busy with that. So he kind of put all of the yard jobs on hold while they were doing that. And so when my husband called to see if he could deliver our mulch like they do every year, but it's late this year because we had all the monsoon rains that went on for like a month. Um, and then we had to weed everything. So then we want him to come and deliver the mulch, you know, like a week ago on Saturday or Sunday or Monday, and he couldn't do it. So I went and bought some mulch for the parts that we'd weeded because I was afraid the weeds were going to come back. And I was just going to mulch those little small areas until he could get over and deliver the mulch. So I'm headed over to the Home Depot that I know is literally three minutes away from my friend's house. And I see that there's a TJ Maxx in the parking lot and I have a return. I have a dress I bought that is not fitting me and I want to, you know, return it. So I get in line at the store and all four, well, there are like five registers, but four of them were manned staff. There were women there working the registers. So I get up to the next, I'm next in line. And the lady looks down, she looks right at me. And instead of waving me over or hitting the little button that says come over, she turns to the other lady and says something. I couldn't hear what it was. And then she shuts her register down and walks, walks off. So then the next lady, her customer leaves. She looks down, looks, looks right at me. And I have like two candles and a couple of other things that I'm buying, uh, a nonstick pan and two workout shirts. So I have the, those little things and then the one thing in a, in a TJ Maxx bag. And I'm waiting there and I look at her. She looks me right in the face. She shuts down her register as I'm walking up. Because as soon as she looked at me, I thought, oh, she's going to help me. I start walking up and she says, 
did you hear the thing chime? And I said, no, I didn't. She said, well, I'm, I'm not working anymore. So I turn around and walk back to the beginning of the line and I wait. And finally, now there are two ladies left checking people out. The girl waves me. She hits the thing, waves me over. It chimes and says, you know, register three is open. You walk, I walk down and I put my stuff down and I looked at her and she was like, can I help you today? And I'm thinking, why well, you don't have to help me. You just need to ring this stuff out. So I said, thank you. So give her the stuff. She rings me out and she's kind of like, you know, I can tell she's, she's, something's not right about the situation. I'm not sure what's going on or, or, you know, if it has anything to do with me. Um, but it definitely was not a good customer service experience at that TJ Maxx. Now, old Stacy would have immediately called back later and complained to the manager or, you know, whatever. But I just thought to myself, you know, so not worth my time to waste on making a phone call. But obviously, there's some kind of like it's it's not the regular customer service environment where you just walk up and get served and walk on about your business. And this happens you know, it can happen at TJ Maxx. It can happen anywhere. Now, my motto is any person that treats you like that, they're having a bad day. There's something going on in their life. They're, they're having a problem. So you just be blessed that you're not that person and get your stuff and move on. But I'm pointing that out to say the animosity that we see between people running around just doing everyday things, the animosity, some of it's coming from people who have, quite honestly, their lives are a trash can and they're struggling and they need real help. And some of it is because of the environment that we've set up where every one of us has to gather up our demographic boxes and put a toe and a finger and a leg into each one and then walk around wearing those things like a badge of like, I'm well, I'm this, I'm that. And if you're not one of those people, which I'm not, I could care less about the socioeconomics, the if you're white, if you're black, whatever. I'm just looking to do whatever I'm looking to do. If, if I'm buying something for you, I just want to buy it and get on my way. If I'm helping you. I want to help you and get on my way. I want to just do what I need to do and move on to the next thing. But the, we're losing that. That's being chipped away. And the people chipping away at it are the Democrats and their useful patsies. And so when Dr. Bob Woodson points to these millionaires, these NFL guys who they start out, some of them start out from very straightened circumstances, and they come into this amazing environment, which it's really some, for some of them, it's like sending them into the lion's den because they're not prepared. Not only do they not know how to manage money, they don't know how to manage themselves. They don't have good personal habits. They've never had a man in their life to teach them how to be a man. And so when presented with all of the temptations and the environment that is the National uh, Football League, they fall. They make mistakes. And it's not the kind of mistakes that, you know, it's the kind of stuff that you're, you're known for it afterwards. You've beaten your girlfriend up in an elevator with a camera. You know, you've beaten up every girlfriend and wife you've ever had. You have kids with eight different people, you know, and you're rich. So you're like, whatever. But as you heard him say, time goes on five years past their retirement from the NFL and they're broke right back where they were. Only they're worse off because there's nothing like living high and fine and then going back to straightened circumstances. And so the goodness of, the, of it is that, like Morgan Freeman said, you don't we don't have a caste system here where if you're rich, you're always rich. And if you're poor, you're always poor. Here in this country, you can be poor, middle class, rich, go back to middle class. You can be poverty stricken again. It's all up to your personal choices. But we're eroding the very value of that system by making everything about race. So I'm circling back around to Morgan Freeman. He says courage is the key to life itself in this last clip. He's been asked by Don Lemon. So a little bit more time has passed since the first clip where you heard him 
talking about, uh, you know, India's caste system and how he was poor and, and now he's Morgan Freeman. But Don Lemon asks him, he says, don't you think race has something to do with it? Don't you think that race is a determining factor in whether or not you can make it here in America? And Morgan Freeman, you know, he uses an expletive and says, no way, that's not true. But then he goes on to describe a couple things that it would be good for every kid in America. I don't care what your permanent tan is for every kid in America to hear this and understand that this is the truth of the situation. And regardless of your drawbacks, your negatives, your, um, your cons, you know, everybody's got pros, everybody's got cons, regardless of those, anyone can make it here. It's the determination that matters. It's number two. Courage. Courage is the key to life itself. There are a lot of people who are born in situations where say, well, I just, I'll never get out of this. So they won't. I say to people who say, well, I, I would like to have done so and so and so. So you could have done it. So, well, I couldn't get out of here. Man, the bus runs every day. <laughs> if you can think of it, you can do it. That's the human condition. If right. we can imagine it, we can do it. Right. And I think that the, the, the condition of each individual human. Right. So can we can I go back to because I, I, I thought what you said was fascinating because you called it bull when you said people can't, you know, pull themselves up. Do you think that race plays a part in wealth dis distribution or either a mindset that you can't? Today? Cannot, yeah. No, you don't. No, I don't. I don't. You and I, we're proof. Why would race have anything to do with it? Stick your put your mind to what you want to do and go for that. He says, stick your mind to what you want to do and go for that. Now, look, I'm. I understand that there is, there, there are hardships, there are circumstances beyond our control, and we certainly don't have an easy road if you're trying to, to do anything. Remember, I was just talking about this, um, not last Friday, but the Friday before where I was talking about when, when you're in the hashtag valley of no, where you feel like the Lord is saying, no, not right now, wait, or, or what have you. And I have like three areas where that's the case. And nothing's changed since that last Friday where I, I was talking about that, except a few people reached out on, on messaging and said, hey, you know, God bless. And that was really a blessing to me. I'm in that same spot. Thank you for that was encouraging. Other than that, nothing has changed. Nothing. And so I don't know anything more good than from then or today. Nothing has changed. But my attitude has changed because I've been meditating on that information and basically saying, you know what, Lord, you're right. I'm wrong. Your timing is right. My timing is wrong. And I have to keep working. I have to keep working in order to see it through whatever God's answer is going to be. And so when we get stuck in this staring at our skin, it's, I, I call it skin worshiping, where people are just sitting around, well, I'm a victim. Well, I'm a bigger victim than you because you're just, you know, you're just a woman, but I'm a woman and I'm black. And then someone else is like, well, you guys are nothing because I'm gay and I'm black. So I'm, I'm a bigger victim than all y'all. What good are we doing with that? How does sitting around checking our victim status or tweeting about it or posting on Facebook about it or living like that and letting those thoughts mess up our minds, like marinate all over our brains and just degrade our ability to think and see and act and, and, and take advantage of the opportunities that are here? How does that get us anywhere? So it's, it's not that I don't understand some of the reasoning that has been put forward by some very intelligent people who are, are genuinely looking for a way to close the door on the racial animus by suggesting that we have the reparations that they feel were never actually completed. 
I understand that there are some actually decent people who are having that conversation. But what I also understand is what uh, Burgess Owens and uh, Dr. Bob Woodson and so many other black thinkers of really like they're these are people that we respect because of their intellect and their ability, their staying power and their ability to analyze and cognitively really just ascertain what what would the unintended consequences be people who can actually see a little bit forward instead of just taking everything in the moment and letting our emotions rule the day in the end we will never have reconciliation of any kind because that that doesn't come from checks from the government or government programs or anything like that even even Community programs, we can get along better, but true reconciliation comes from the blood, comes from us being acknowledging that we're all sinners and we all need a savior and that that is available to us. And then we can move into reconciliation for those who aren't of the mind to become Christians and to become reconciled to God first. Obviously, we have to rely on the law because the law is not for the just, it's for the unjust, for the law to pick up the pieces. But in the end, I I believe the reparations discussion is like Pandora's box. You open it because you want to get one thing out. And instead, all of the evils and unintended consequences and things that you never considered come pouring out on you and you can't get that lid pried back shut. And that's what the reparations is. And I, I, for one, am just exhausted of people trying to figure out we're trying to figure out well, where do you stand on this? Or where do you stand on that? And our politics is already so negative. Just imagine if we had reparations to throw into that mix. And I've had people say to me, well, so you don't want to do reparations because you're afraid of the unintended consequences, but we're owed something. No, we're not. We are Americans. We are Americans. I'll say it one more time. You are an American. Not only are you not owed anything, Our duty is to God, country, and then our families. We are owed nothing. If anything, the ones who are owed something are those who've given themselves to the cause and are not being given what they were promised under their agreements with our our military. Maybe they're owed something, but the rest of us are owed nothing. All right, I hear the music. (laughs) You're leaving us now. God bless from the heartland. You're sticking around. OneNewsNow.com. News and information is up next.